Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pabedimitria, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technology defining the modern air travel experience. Flight time today, an hour and 38 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, is the economic cabin getting more cramped? Emirates introduced A380s without a first class. Angry Birds lands in your flight. Narita uses a running truck instead of an airport signage, which U.S. airline tops customer satisfaction for a third year in a row, and a crazy story of an airport staff who got stuck in a cargo of a flying plane. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger seat bell sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. This is flight 11 to Saint-Martin. Hi, Alex. Hi, or, or St. Martin, as we we ruin everything in English. We take the, the sexiness out of it. Yeah, well, we're going for a more exotic airport for once. Uh, uh, again, by the way, because last week was Amsterdam, so it's again a KLM destination because a Dutch airport, basically. Uh, we'll tell you all about it at the end. Why we chose that airport? Uh, first of all, because we wanted to do something a bit different than the big city. or uh, And you'll see as well why, because we we're going to talk about crazy runways, and that's going to be Alex telling us about what he thinks are the most crazy uh, runways in the world. I'm very, very much looking forward to that one, actually. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it should be a fun session. There was a very, very long list to choose from, so it took a while to cull them into a list that's not going to take up an entire show by itself. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Uh, and also, we're going to talk a lot about aircrafts today, because it's been a while we haven't talked about aircrafts, uh, and uh, a lot about seats. Uh, there's a reason why you'll see that later. That's going to be the main topic of the show as well. Uh, so we thought that, you know, holiday destination is where you see a lot of aircrafts and you always cramped in an echo seat when you go on holidays. So uh, first uh, news of the week, uh, the news of the week, the first one is that, it's, you know, our saga, you know, we could rename the show the U.S. subsidies or something. <laughs> yeah, U.S. subsidies <laughs> weekly. <laughs> exactly. I don't think a lot of people would listen to that. <laughs> no, I'm not sure either. So... Uh, I, qu- I had quoted in episode 007, I had quoted the number of 150 billion uh, subsidies that uh, U.S. airlines have had received uh, since the beginning of the century, I mean, the past century. And uh, there, I couldn't remember when I had found that number because I, I remember I had read it somewhere. And apparently it comes from WikiLeaks. Uh, uh, can you maybe just tell us what WikiLeaks is, Alex? Yeah, You're WikiLeaks smart guy. is this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, WikiLeaks is this sort of ongoing nebulous organization that has, by hook or by crook, come across a lot of diplomatic wires uh, that they have been periodically releasing for, gosh, I think 2007. Uh, Their figurehead is Julian Assange, who is currently holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London and has been for years because he's... uh, there's a, a warrant out for his arrest on uh, on another charge in Sweden, but they have all of these these diplomatic wires and documents and various other bits and pieces which they use to their advantage for for leverage or because they feel like the public needs to know. And and this gem was was hidden among them. Yeah, apparently it was a document that was disclosed already back in two thousand and nine. 
which which stated how U.S. aviation, including commercial airlines, obviously the FAA, the airports, received uh, 155 billion in federal direct spending from 1918 to 1998. I say that because obviously 1998 means that we're not even talking about what we talked in an earlier episode where we. We discussed about the Sega, about uh, all the other stuff that have, that the U.S. airlines have received since then, especially after 9/11, obviously. Uh, so it created quite a stir. And actually, this this document not only it was uh, the reason I, I remembered it's actually the the Business Travel Coalition, uh, which is basically sides on the side of keeping the Open Skies Agreement open. They have used it. And uh, as uh, as a way to basically pressure the U.S. airline, they they say, and I'm going to quote, uh, that's the uh, chairman of this uh, business travel coalition. Says, a central argument of some U.S. airlines seeking government protection from foreign competition is that the Persian Gulf states have been inappropriately and unfairly helping the Gulf carriers become established with financial aid. What re- this report shines a bright light on is a simple fact that government assistance has long been provided on a very large scale to airlines all around the world, including in the U.S. We both we've been both saying that basically. Yeah, right? it's a very tersely worded response, re- referring to the fiction that U.S. airlines car- cartel <laughs> and referring to them as a cartel in the first place. That's a very pejorative word. Uh, it's is about subsidies. And this is a this is a union affiliated, a big union affiliated organization, and they've come out against the the U.S. carrier, saying, "You guys, we told you this was going to happen." And they also they produced a number that said, uh, "This is a, a a separate union that said U.S. airlines receive state subsidies am- amounting to a billion dollars a year currently," which is. Again, and I've been saying this, and you know, we've been we've been saying this since the beginning. How did they think this was going to work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, hey, hey, American Airlines, when they uh, they they wanted to uh, uh, basically restructure, they basically put out eight billion worth of pension pension plans to a federal. Uh, um, body. So basically, you know, although that was not eight billion they received, they offloaded eight billion to uh, uh, to the federal state in the U.S. So basically, again, like you say, it's a very convoluted story. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read what the uh, the uh, the spokesperson for the Partnership for Open and Fair Skies. I always love saying that name. <laughs> She said, calling FAA funding a subsidy for commercial airlines is akin to calling paved roads and traffic lights a subsidy for the taxi industry. <laughs> I mean, That's specious it, reasoning. It, it, makes, it. it makes sense. But yeah, look, this is exactly what you and me have been saying. Yes, of course, we understand that you know part of the subsidy was to build airports. But when you look at what actually they're currently doing in, in the Middle East, they are building infrastructure. They're building airports. They're building an industry. So you cannot say it's... That different and in the taxis are not the only users of airports. Yes, <laughs> you know that, so it's 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 a totally invalid argument, and I think it really shows them grasping at straws. That this is like death blow after death blow, and the hilarious thing is, like we we've been saying week after week, week after week, the Middle Eastern carriers are launching more and more capacity to the U.S. Yes. because they know that they've won this fight. Yes, yes. Actually, there was an article. I, I will say, to be fair, to the to the U.S. airlines, it was an article. I don't remember now the name of the person who wrote it, but I put it in the links of the sh- in the notes of the show. Obviously, 
who said that, of course, you have to remember that U.S. airlines and passengers through the taxes they pay with the ticket pay back, pay something to the FAA. And they paid, a, to, according to his calculation, almost $250 billion back to the FAA. So what he says there is like, you know, the, the U.S. airlines are paying back, but they're getting them subsidies. Well, fair enough. Uh, and But the, the point remains that basically this is something that happens everywhere in the world where, you know, you have tax for you know, uh, airport duty, passenger duty in the UK. This is a system that exists everywhere. It's not. So you cannot just separate the two. Uh, we all in every country in the world, in every airport in the world, you have a system of paying back, of paying lending fees, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very hard to actually make. I'm not so here. What we're saying, Alex and I, is not that. The U.S. line is just crooks. <laughs> we're no. not really, but we're saying that the system in a whole is. At one point, you you create an infrastructure. The state, uh, the government, the states, the nation, the kingdom, whoever steps in to help create that infrastructure, and then there's a this system of state aid and subsidies on one side, which now are considered more and more unfair, and the other side, you have taxes, and that's actually okay. So the the, the point is. How and this is exactly what you just said. How could they believe the U.S. airlines that they would not be called out on that? That you yeah. know, oh, we are the only ones not getting any subsidies, and we are the you know we have the best system in the world. That's actually not true. No, absolutely. And I, you know, and further to your point, I you know I, I don't I I certainly don't want to come off as you know anti-U.S. airlines or exactly in, yeah. in any way. If the tables were turned and the facts were turned, I would be going after whoever was wrong. My problem is anti-competitive behavior. Yeah, you know, settle it on the playing field with with product and service, and not with this nonsense. Yeah, correct. And uh, and I understand it's true that it's very hard to make a, a full argument here because comparing what happened in the U.S. or in Europe, basically fifty to eighty years ago to what happens in the last twenty years, uh, it's very hard because you compare orange to apples. The 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 world the world is is going faster. It's true that infrastructure is being built much faster, but because the world is actually going faster, so it's not as if so. It's 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 a model situation that will be covering. Actually, if you want to, I mean, you are an American citizen, uh, Alex, so you could do that. the The Obama administration just opened uh, uh, an open forum where you can uh, share your views uh, online. You can submit your views. So if you want to submit any of your views, you can. Uh, anyone who listens, I think it's only open for U.S. citizens uh, or maybe residents. I'm not sure. It's found on regulations.gov. To be very honest, I went on it. It's not the best UX website I've ever seen. It's be- very hard to really? find where I should be. <laughs> A government website has bad UX. I don't believe you, Paul. <laughs> but you can you can actually submit your view. So it's it's an ongoing process. Talking about that, the same at the same time of all this happened, uh, Tim Clark, uh, so the CEO of Emirates, was in uh, Copenhagen, and he said uh, the um, he, he called sorry the the, the report spurious, salacious, and malicious. So he's not very happy. Uh, and he, he stated that the open the bilateral agreements, bilateral agreements like Open Skies exist between a lot of different countries, obviously the US and the Gulf, and but also separately, not uh, the EU as an entity, but separate states in the EU have these kind of agreements. And he called them, uh, they are free and open, and they're moving, they're a sign of moving away from a Jurassic era of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Wow. <laughs> and that's quite, that's quite aggressive for him because he's usually yeah. the, uh, the calm voice uh, in the storm. So that's, that's, he must be losing his patience. Yes. So what was he in Copenhagen, Alex? Well, he was in Copenhagen to announce that Emirates were increasing capacity. 
to to Copenhagen from from Dubai. Now that in and of itself isn't huge news, but what's interesting about this is they're moving from a triple seven to a three eighty. Also, not hugely interesting, but it's the configuration of this A three eighty that is interesting. They are moving from a three class uh, configuration in the A three eighty to a two class, and what that means is there will be six hundred and fifteen seats on this business and economy configured airplane, which is a staggering amount. Yeah, we'll, compared, I think currently the three class uh, configuration has a five hundred and seventeen. Five hundred seventeen increase, and they are the they. That's the most of any carrier today. Currently, yeah, yeah. So they're. I think, I, think, I, I think. Do you remember what's the maximum capacity of the A three eighty in full economy? I think it was 853. more than eight hundred fifty three. Eight hundred fifty three. Eight hundred fifty three is 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 the maximum single class layout that the A three eighty can accommodate, and no one has come anywhere close to that Air Austral. Uh, when they de- delivered the specification to Airbus for a- their A380, it was, it was 840, but they haven't actually converted those orders to firm deliveries. And Transaero are having one with 652 seats, wow. but those have not been delivered yet either. So currently, this 615 seat A380 f- uh, flight from Dubai to Copenhagen will, will be the the single largest uh, configuration. And also, as you pointed out last week in an offline conversation, it, it, it could signal a slight shift in strategy for Emirates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I've, I've taken Emirates in a two-class configuration, never an A380, obviously. But So I remember when I was flying uh, to and from Manila to Dubai, so Manila and the Philippines, they were never a uh, 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 first class. And the, the same was from Kochi, which is a city in the south of India. I also didn't see a first class. So it's not new that they don't do first class. What is new is that I think for a very long time, they really pushed, like all the all the Middle Eastern airlines, they pushed this kind of image of elegance and your premium product. And they always displayed what they do in the front of the cabin. And especially with A3D, you know, with the showers in front and everything. So actually moving away from that to removing that bit, which probably makes sense economically, right? I'm sure they actually make yeah. sense. And I'm going to say that because, for instance, I used to travel a lot between Dubai and Osaka in uh, in Japan. And Dubai and Osaka, it was a, a 777-200 extended range. It always had the, the, the first class, but it was always, and I'm not kidding, always empty. Actually got, thank you Emirates, by the way, I got upgraded a few times there because it was empty. So you can realize that maybe there's a limit at which point you say, okay, we've got to do something for our image. And at the end of the day, you also want to do, you know, just, you know, have full capacity. So you yeah. just remove a class, right? It, now they're optimizing that image with revenue, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and actually, exactly. And they're not the first one because if you think there are a lot of airlines that have removed first class, uh, AA has abandoned, American Airlines has abandoned it, United is considering abandoning it, Tam in Brazil has, has let, let go of the first class. Lufthansa is actually removing the first class on many flights and not ordering a three class uh, 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 configuration for their next, their following planes. Even Qatar Airways is actually removing first-class seats uh, and reserving, that's interesting, reserving the first-class image for the A380. So that's going to be like the ultra-premium product with the yeah. A380, and the rest might actually be less premium. I mean, less premium. Let's not kid ourselves. That's still very premium. But it's, it's just a shift in strategy. Well, the question I'm going to ask you, Alex, because maybe you, you, I don't know if you thought about this, is like if you think about it, they, in, the route, in that route from Dubai to Copenhagen, so now they have 615 seats on an A380, which we know as four engines, so supposedly is less fuel efficient than a 777, but a 777 
only has maybe like 430 seats. So doesn't that suddenly make the A380 more efficient than the 777? That, I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't think so. I think it, it comes down to cost per seat mile, right? So right. you you know you've you have to compare maximum takeoff weight and and the the num the amount of energy required to move that weight versus the passengers and the ticketing prices it is it is so complicated but I I don't it, I can't make that leap in my own mind um, we really need to get someone on here whose job it is to work this stuff out correct but I agree I I don't think I don't think so because just, when you increase the number of passengers on the plane you increase the weight uh and that and thereby increases your cost so i don't think it works like that it might no, i'm not I mean, sure either i'm not a, sure either there's a business reason there's a business case for what emirates have just announced so you know if they can squeeze more money per seat mile with this new configuration on this new route with an a380 then there's a solid reason why they've done it i mean those, those guys are the ultimate in in route management and, and revenue management yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I was reading, since I read French, I was reading a French newspaper called, uh, called Les Echos, Echos uh, in which the, uh, I think it was CEO of Airbus, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure now, but the CEO of Airbus came and said, they're still not sure about reconfiguring the A380 with uh, new engines. So uh, this is, uh, we know both that this is a very big demand from Emirates. They say, we're going to order more Airbus A380s, but you have to to provide us with more fuel efficient engines so we'll yeah. see uh they haven't they haven't made a decision yet so they're not saying no they also said that you remember we said that a few weeks ago that the a380 program will be breaking even this year uh still talking about uh planes uh because we said today we're going to talk about aircrafts um uh, we talked we just talked about premium premium seating and we know that premium seats are very expensive to build i mean there were articles back then i don't know uh, they were that apparently the most premium seats cost more than what three hundred thousand dollars. Dollar, it's crazy. You said I think because you had some experience that that a, a more normal premium, let's call it a, a, a business class seat with IFE effect, uh, costs like maybe eighty k. So it's a lot of money. It is, and there's there's a glut. Actually, there's not. Uh, there was this piece of news that Boeing has put two of its uh, seven, uh, eight, seven streets so of the Dreamliners, they, they put it in the Mojave Desert, you know, where they all, you know, the cemetery for planes, because they just don't have the premium seats ready. And there's mm. a huge backlog. So the, they built for this uh, configuration, they're working with uh, a French company called Zodiac, which provides a lot of these very premium seats. For those of you who have been ever lucky to fly premium, you most likely have, uh, have seated on a Zodiac seat. They don't have enough capacity. They don't have enough capacity in their factory to provide the seats. It's pretty, wow. pretty damning, right? Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, it's. It's a good indicator of where the market is going. But it's interesting that they can't keep up with demand. I think that maybe it's time for them to have a competitor or someone who's already doing economy seats like Recaro to. Uh, to yeah, maybe. To, yeah. But it's it's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, man, the manufacturing of a high capacity, reasonably comfortable economy seat is completely different from manufacturing a business or first class suite. It's completely different yeah. set of uh, of expertise. So I I don't think you can you can just go, "Oh, we're going to retool everything to to go from economy to No, of know, course gigantic yeah, exactly. business class apartments." I think we had posted a few uh, months ago, there was uh, Emirates did a video uh, where they showed how they installed first class seats Which, in yeah, their planes. Which is super interesting. 
it's yeah and you can see that it's very complicated yeah it's a I lot mean, of work it's a lot of work uh talking about uh talking about 787s uh you might remember then when uh boeing started program 70 uh, uh, of the dreamliner they started production and they the first the first uh, order the first sorry the first uh, planes that came out production they were not still uh uh agreed by regulation and they were at that time a slightly heavier than the, the products that came later and it's been called for a long time the teens uh, uh 787 because they belong to boeing they were so they were so when the first orders came in so for example ana which was one of the launch uh, customers they said okay we're going to buy x number of a787 but then they realized that these these first planes were a bit too heavy and they offered boeing offered the possibility up to ana in that instance to say okay if you want to wait a little bit longer, we're going to give you a batch, which is the lighter version. Uh, Boeing never, never uh, actually dis, uh, disclosed what was the difference in weight, but it must have been quite something because ANA went with that second batch and not with the first batch. And for a very, very long time, yeah. the 787 were basically without any owners. Right? Which is, yeah, it's weird. And I, it really must have been a significant weight difference for ANA to push back the public launch of the seven of their 787 or the 787 in general because they were the launch customers so again like you say they haven't actually disclosed the weight difference but it must have been absolutely huge for them to say yeah we'll take that 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 significant delay to get these lighter airplanes and and so now that the the news this week is that apparently there are rumors that 10 of these will have, have found uh customers the two names that are being floated, uh, and you just mentioned one is Aerostral, and the other one is, uh, which is a French uh, company to be for the French islands and Réunion in the Indian Ocean. And the other, I think it's Ethiopian. So, uh, Who I'm are sure already a 787 operator. Exactly. I have a slight uh, idea that Boeing must have uh, cut the price quite a lot on those to be able to sell them. Yeah, right, big time. Uh, they say that these, this, this range of planes has, that has never been sold was worth uh, the stock was worth more than a billion dollars. So it's actually wow. it's having a billion dollars that sits there is not being used is not being bought is a big is not fun for yeah you don't so want that sitting on your books. So that would also maybe reduce maybe the backlog of 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 Boeing and also of course uh, give bring some money in for the program. So anyway, uh, oh, there's also a rumor that one of these teens, terrible teens, that was the name. One of these ter <laughs> terrible teens is actually being acquired by a VIP. Um, unknown origin so ah, it could be to keep yeah. an eye out for that exact uh still on boeing uh from 787 to 777 uh so 777 program uh there there will be uh an evolution of the 77 called currently the 777 sorry x which should go uh which should appear uh the first deliveries will appear in 2020 so it's, that's not tomorrow but in the meantime, to, to stay competitive, uh, Boeing has announced that they will actually do some slight change to the current 777 to keep it, you know, they, they want basically to keep the same number of, of, of planes uh, being um, produced each month, which currently sits at 8.3. So no, there's basically eight and a third of a plane each month. And they want to, <laughs> in order to maintain that, they want to be competitive. And that's interesting because it shows that even though that because that's the same thing with the A380 earlier, even though a plane is not at the is is still in in a production run and the the follow up model uh, or the evolutionary model is being announced, 
with the competition, uh, aircraft manufacturers have to improve. Otherwise, they're not getting. I mean, it's a very low margin business. So, uh, I don't. Do you have anything to say about that one? Or well, I just wonder if Boeing knew from the beginning of the seven 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 program how successful it would be. It's really turned into the darling of the long haul industry. Oh, correct. Yes. I mean, yes. it's 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 cemented itself. I it I thought it would wane because the the life of a, of a 777-200 seems quite short in comparison to the 747 which you know those planes go on and on and on and on and on but 777-200s are, are have been going to the desert to be parted out for for several years now mm-hmm. but the line has just become the mainstay of long haul travel as people have moved I think we talked about this in one of the earliest episodes to two engines for long haul and so they you know, the, like you say, the triple seven X coming out in, in in a few years. I I I'm delighted because it's one of my favorite airplanes. I think it's a it's a beautiful, oh, yeah, it's a beautiful airplane. I agree. Technological yeah. achievement. So I'm happy uh, that they're doing this. To, to, talking about technology, it's interesting as a tidbit. One of the ways that you know the the the, the evolutionary, so not the the, the triple seven X, but the current model will. Uh, evolve in the in f- next five years, they will, uh, by, one of the ways it will be by reducing weight. And interestingly, and that shows also how technology evolves, uh, the part of the systems, you know, they were so basically the old, the old wiring and the old technologies that are hidden from you as a passenger yeah. was calculated to be much heavier in the past and also take much room, which now with the miniaturization of all these technologies, they say that basically by not changing a lot in the plane, but just basically Digging up so all this room that is now will sit empty, they can actually remove some part of the weight of the plane. That's pretty interesting. That especially in the crown, apparently. Yeah, uh, it's and it every ounce that can be removed is a saving from for for not just for Boeing but for the airline as well. But for Boeing, they can it's a marketing piece, and for the airlines, it's a cost saving piece. Exactly. Uh, the triple seven X, so uh, the largest. Uh, Order is from Emirates again. <laughs> they, they say they will buy 35 of the 8X version and 115 of the 9X version when it comes out. Uh, interestingly, though, uh, Lufthansa is buying quite a few as well, which means, and I'm sorry, Alex, because I'm the beer of bad news, which means they will probably not buy any more 7478 because they're going to put everything on a 777. Yeah, sorry. that's disappointing, but. Uh... We all have, we will be preparing ourselves emotionally for this moment for quite a long time. <laughs> uh, a, a piece of news for you, Alex, because uh, there was uh, just been released a new customer satisfaction satisfaction survey in the U.S. And woo, which airline is stopping it again? Good old Virgin America for the third year in a row. Makes you happy, right? It does. I I was actually at Virgin America's home base yesterday filming my other show. And, attache. Uh, attache. And we uh, went to Terminal 2 in San Francisco Airport, which is where, where Virgin America is based. And it was interesting for me to see how much the product has evolved from the, the check-in experience. There was, they've all, you know, they're big on the mood lighting and everything, but there was like thumping techno music. And it was like, and then on the other side of Terminal 2 is American Airlines, where they were just sort of quietly punching you in the face as you checked in. But it was like, <laughs> anyhow, I'm joking, of course, no disrespect to American Airlines. But yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, go ahead. There was just such a such a different contrasting experience that even I was taken aback. Like, wow, this has come a long way. And people just they obviously are happy with the entire experience if they've been if they've had this accolade uh, for the last three years running. 
Yeah, the the they have uh, twelve uh, airlines being ranked. The, the 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 one that is closing the ranks is Envoy, American Eagle. Uh, sorry for them. Uh, United is probably the worst of the big four. It's, it ranks at nine. And that includes uh, Continental. Now that they've uh, obviously uh, joined forces. And just to uh, very quickly, it's a report that goes and asks customers about the on-time arrivals. Uh, what kind of complaints do you have? Uh, more most of the complaints uh, were from obviously delays, luggage, uh, booking, ticketing, boarding, even. Uh, That's a big uh, thing. Yeah, that's a big thing. Denied boardings as well, apparently, it appears in, uh, in baggage handling. And uh, and you can have, I mean, I'm not going to go through all of this, but you can have the rankings depending on what is what matters to you the most. But it's a great thing that Amer- Virgin, Virgin America stays on top. It's, we, we said earlier as well that they're doing better financially. So it's good news, for, especially for you, because it's, it's your baby of source, right? Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm happy people are liking it. And I'm not surprised at these rankings. I'm actually su- Delta really seemed to have upped their game. I haven't flown Delta in years. I will be flying them next month. JetBlue are a wonderful, wonderful airline, and I I'm glad they continue to do well and have got through their their kind of growing pains. So it's a it's great. I think it I think it kind of reinforces what we've been saying since the beginning of the show. You know, you can't win these battles by complaining in a courtroom. You just have to continually improve your experience. Yep, correct. Uh, talking about experiencing back to Europe, uh, we we had said, and I don't remember the name of the episode now, but we discussed about what happens in terms of compensation. Oh, yeah, it's when when we were talking about AirHelp, that app that yes. helps you. Yeah, and we'll cover. Maybe we'll do one one day a segment about what exactly happens in terms of compensation because it's a very complex matter. But talking about this in Europe, there's a regulation by the European Union that forces airline to give you some compensation depending on what kind of incident happened and the time of the delay, etc. And, and apparently, uh, there are the three major airlines, which are Aer Lingus, Jet2, and Wizz Air, have not made the appropriate changes uh, that regulator, regulators have asked them to do, and now they're being fined. Uh, so it's uh, basically... Consumer, I'm not going to say that consumer rights are taken more seriously in Europe than they are in the U.S., but they are probably they're taken more by the state, thus the court, than the U.S. And uh, it, they, the court is starting to hit hard. It's not the first story that I've read in a recent month when a court says, hey, guys, you're supposed to either compensate to do something with your customers. You haven't, so here's a fine. And, uh, and the fine is pretty big, I think. I don't remember the, na- the, the number, but it's uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I was actually surprised that Wizz Air were involved in this. I've I'd never flown them, but I've always heard good things about them. So to hear that they were a repeat offender of this and had been punished quite substantially, as you say, was, was surprising to me. Jet2, on the other hand, have had issue after issue after issue, uh, some near catastrophic uh, around around safety. I was not surprised to see them in this list, but Wizz Air, I, I was, because they're supposed to be this new breed of low-cost carrier, and I think they might have been a little caught up in the low-cost bit of that. Yeah, probably what they've, that they've been accused of here is, for those who have ever traveled in Europe, you're supposed to be told as a, as a passenger about your rights. So you're supposed to be told that if the plane is late, you can go and ask for uh, either a refund or some form, form of compensation. Uh, now, for instance, I've, flo- I've flown Swiss, uh, Swiss last month, 
and uh, last week, sorry, when you go on the um, you know the gate of the screens, one of the screens actually displays that and tells you, oh, you know, if your flight is late, you can you have a right to compensation. So, and I think it was a failure to explain that to passengers uh, that was being uh, here pointed at. Yeah. So it's and I th I think that if you for someone like Wizz Air, you can maybe chalk it up to growing pains. And because you know, they, they've grown extremely quickly, they have received accolades for their service and their product. And it is, from what I can see, a good product. You will then look at this in a year and go, have you improved? If not, okay, then this is a systematic failure and not a, a victim of your own success. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. Uh, well, we'll continue to cover this because uh, we try not to co cover all the just the news that just bashed our lives. But as soon yeah. as, <laughs> but as soon as the courts starts to get involved, it's interesting because it maybe shows a trend of actually, you know, the regulator stepping stepping in to actually manage the, the market. I mean, we'll see. Talking about uh, safety, I mean, it's not entirely safety, but uh, there's an Alaska airline flight that has that had a small surprise in his cargo hold, right? They yes, so this this <laughs> flight from Seattle to LA, which is about a two and a half hour flight, they had to return to Seattle because the captain heard a banging noise, a, re ba a repeated banging noise coming from underneath the aircraft, from in what they thought was inside the cargo hold. Now that must have been disconcerting because you don't want to hear a banging noise at any point during a flight. So they land. <laughs> they were only in the air for 14 minutes, and I, I'm sure they got priority landing because, again, you do not want to be hearing a banging noise. After they landed, a cargo handler emerged from the cargo hold and had apparently <laughs> fallen asleep. <laughs> in the, And this is not the first time this has happened. Unbelievable. What? What? This happens with, like, alarming regularity. So they'd fallen asleep. In uh, in the the cargo hold, the plane had taken off. Now, fortunately for him, he was in the fr in the front cargo hold, which is pressurized and temperature controlled. So he was never. Yeah, that's in any... that's what that, that's where they that's where they put the pets, for instance, right? Yeah, that's where they put pets. Yeah. So he was never yeah. in any any danger from that. I mean, obviously, he wasn't strapped in or secured, but uh, I wouldn't want to be him right now because I'm sure that he <laughs> got an earful at the very least when he when he got home. So. <laughs> Jeez, That's a pretty cool story. Jesus it is funny. Christ. It all's well that ends well, but uh, you know, I'm sure that um, he won't be doing that again. Yeah, no, I'm sure not. Uh, still remaining at airports in the U.S. Uh, a very small tidbit, but I found it fascinating. There was uh, the TSA, so the Transportation Security Administration, released its uh, fiscal report for 2014. And in it, uh, you can read that it has, you know, when you go to an airport, I'm sure you've done that, especially as an international uh, traveler, when you have loose chains, small pennies that you don't want because you might never return to the country because they're in a foreign currency, you might not need it. You, you have balls, you can just drop, you know, some coins in just before, uh, before uh, either usually before security. Right. And <laughs> that report showed that TSA has earned through that an amount Six hundred and seventy-four thousand dollars last year. Amazing, isn't it? It's crazy. <laughs> Obviously, the airports that I've seen the most are, like I just said, international airports. So JFK is number one. Uh, interesting, interestingly, for instance, Atlanta, which is a very big airport, is not very high because most passengers are national passengers that travel yeah. from and to the U.S., so they don't. But I mean. I've never thought about it because it, I do I do that all the time, especially with tiny coins that are worth basically nothing, and they cannot exchange in any currency exchange booth. So you just drop them. But six hundred 
and staggering. That's staggering. And the TSA can do whatever they want with the money. It's part of the budget now. So uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, if they're not exactly a a popular organization, I think they they could have used that as a little PR thing, saying we're going to give it all to local charities. But no, they're probably going (laughs) to. Yeah, they're just they won't. Actually, they are. The article, it was on Gizmodo that I read that. It said, uh, whether that means more money funneled through facial recognition programs or more venti lattes for TSA employees is anyone's guess. Wow. And actually, I tell you, having gone through TSA procedures for an hour-long flight within twice in the space of 24 hours, I absolutely see why services like Surfair are becoming extremely popular because what, when you're doing a 12-hour flight, you'll endure it, right? You'll do, endure the line and the, the sort of invasion of your personal space. But for a 45-minute flight, to go through a 45-minute security process, that's starting to take the piss, as it were. So I can absolutely see why these services like Surfair are becoming so popular, where you, you sidestep all of that. We probably uh, it would be fun to have an episode where we talk about a TSA, not to bash it because obviously again very they're do- easy yeah they're doing something that needs to be done. But to, to to discuss this whole concept of security, maybe compare our maybe with our experience, it, it would be nice to find a guest about international experience because they're very different. You have a very different approaches to security depending on which country, sometimes even which airport you are in the world. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic. We'll we'll try to cover it. Uh, moving on to the innovation part of uh, the news, um, and since we just talked about money, uh, money through the TSA, this time uh, money for Google, because we've been talking, Alex and I, a lot about Google, especially Google Flights, uh, because it's a tool that we both find fascinating and extremely useful, and ITA as well. Uh, but the European Union this morning, uh, today we are on Wednesday, uh, this morning just basically uh, formally accused uh, Google of anti- antitrust practices. Right? Yeah, it's that's pretty, and it's not just in travel. It's it's a very of course very... not. It's very wide. It's search, it's mobile, so through Android, it's a wide net uh, for to search uh, to search <laughs> to investigate because it's the start of the investigation now to investigate whether or not they are uh, um, basically have a, a weight in the market that is way too high. Interestingly, though. It comes to an article I had read, I think it was a week or two weeks ago, with the CEO of TripAdvisor, uh, because, of course, we're not, for us here, you and me, we're talking about travel, especially air travel. The, uh, the CEO of TripAdvisor had said that uh, it was uh, disappointed that in the U.S. there was no such case being brought forward. And he was hoping, hopeful sorry, that in, uh, in the, within the EU it would happen, and basically that's exactly what just happened. Uh, the part that I find interesting, and this is why I started to talk about it on Innovation News, is because uh, Google, that's just barely two or three hours ago, just released its uh, official answer to the start of the inquiry through a, a blog post that we will link on the show notes. It's called uh, The Search for Harm. And interestingly, the, all the first part of the answer is actually talking about travel. It's interesting how they start about saying, okay, so the reason why they think they're not uh, uh, displaying any anti-competitive behavior is they're using uh, the example of them buying ITA and the, the Google Flights examples. It's, it's, I found it pretty interesting. They have, a, they have a, a very nice chart here which shows what are the, uh, the situation in Germany in terms of um, OTAs. And you can see that, for instance, 
of course, they show that to, 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 to say that, oh, look, we're not the only ones in the market. There are many other players. And they yeah. showed in Germany, for instance, I'm sure they're using Germany because they know Germany is very tough on Google. Uh, Booking.com is, is first. I think Holiday Check is a German one is second and TripAdvisor, et cetera. So they basically try to tell you to tell the public, look, we bought, a, uh, we bought an OTA, we integrated it, but still the market is very free. It's interesting that they started with that one. I think, they, think? I think they, they might have also done that because they are legally obligated to to suppress not suppress but their their results can't come higher than their competitors because of the ita acquisition that was some of the conditions that were that were imposed to get that through the door uh so they might do it because they have to do it they might have so they're using that as an example but it's an interesting one and the u.s has already investigated this and they said back in 2013 that they didn't violate antitrust laws despite a report saying that perhaps they were getting dangerously close to it uh and there's this thing that came out of the eu wasn't wasn't an official uh charge or investigation it was and they chose this word very carefully an accusation so it's an official accusation that they are uh, using abusing their dominance, as it were, of web search to promote their own interests, and you know it's it's a difficult challenge to so someone's going to have to unwrap this, and you're basically saying to Google, your own you cannot be successful because of your own success. Which yes, is, that's, uh, yeah, 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 exactly, and uh, or you cannot be successful because no one else in your field is successful. It's, it's, it reminds me of when the EU was, was attacking Microsoft. Microsoft they, yeah. they first started in 98. I mean, there were cases before, but the 98 case like dragged on. It was the, uh, the whole thing about brow- browsers, yeah. etc. So there was 98 dragged until uh, tw- uh, 2003, which they paid a first fine in 20, uh, 2004. Then there was another in 2008, another in 2009. That was the unbundling of the browsers, etc., etc. They just got fined, I think, two years ago for failing to actually adhere to one of the previous settlements. But it shows that the time between, oh, we are accusing you of something, the investigation, and then a decision, maybe by the time of the decision is made, the market has shifted already. Yeah. Microsoft was a big case. You know, By the time Microsoft had been basically asked to pay a fine, the market had shifted. Google had been much more powerful. Uh, Internet Explorer was losing market share. So it's we'll see. Though... It's it's not peanuts because according to the rules in the EU, the fine that Google could could see is up to six billion euros. So that's wow, a lot of that's, money. That is a lot of money. Uh, I just did for just to for fun sakes, uh, just before the show, I went on uh, on uh, on Google and I just entered in the search box flights. I wanted to see where flights would come first. Uh, so uh, you'll see. I was logged in in the UK, so I was basically having a results of valid in the UK. Mm. There were two ads first for obviously Flight Center and Opodo. There were Skyscanner, Expedia, et cetera, et cetera. And Google Flights was seventh. So yes, they're not first. Though, and this is where actually I don't know because I don't know if it was because I was logged in. When I did that, there was a box under the ads. So it kind of the first spot of search where I could actually input directly, you know, nice. the three-letter code. So that's interesting. It's, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe it's because I use Google Flights and it was locked in. It's not a scientific. No, no one takes that scientifically. But it's interesting, and I, I can understand why uh, other OTAs are being a bit, uh, you know, fearful at least. So yeah, we'll see. yeah, I, I think they have they have good cause to make sure that this is being watched. 
But though also, let's let's be honest, Europe has a history of being more <laughs> having hitchy aggressive, fingers about yeah. <laughs> going aggressive about that. I mean, they're looking into Amazon tax practices, looking to Facebook privacy, etc., etc. Yeah, et yeah, Apple. So, so we'll see where that leads to. But it's it's interesting. Anyway, going um, you had in uh, episode of Middle Eight, you had found a fantastic piece of news with this guy was flying his plane and basically drawing a penis yeah. on the sky, which you could see with, with, with flight radar. Uh, and this time, actually, somebody had an idea to do something more romantic. We're saying, talking about love, but more romantic. So Air Malta uh, took off and drew two hearts. With, have you seen the picture? It's a lovely picture, and they're perfectly executed they're perfect, hearts. Yes. It's actually, it's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, I was, I was like, because I, I caught the news when Armalta was doing the first heart, the heart wasn't finished, and I, I had no no um, knowledge of what it was because actually Armalta is it, it was a special flight for lovers. I mean, some romantic flights, and they offered it as a special package, and people could just fly and then be part of that experience. Though I'm I'm not sure from the sky, you don't really know what you're doing. You're just going around, and that does two hearts. But it's pretty fun. So everybody talked about it. I think it was yesterday, two days ago. Yeah, it so. was. It, it went all over the internet. It was a lovely idea. And again, like I would encourage you guys to go and look at this picture. It is. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is absolutely perfect. Uh, kudos to the pilot because yeah. Uh, and it's true that they're lucky because Malta, for those who don't know, is a tiny island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So they can do it because around them, there's like water. Yeah. Uh, you could probably not do that from Aethro or GFK, no. right? <laughs> no, it would, no, I don't think you'd get away with that. But this is, uh, this is lovely. A nice idea. Uh, I don't know if hearts could solve uh, the, uh, the, the whole battle we're having here in the UK between Aethro and Gatwick, which... Airport should have their third or runway, second runway, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there was an interesting article that I just stumbled upon a few days ago by Brett Snitter. Uh, he writes a blog called crankyflyer.com. And he interviewed the, uh, the general manager of customer affairs uh, for the UK's air traffic control service. So the guys who are in charge of our airspace here in the UK. And they've introduced at Heathrow a new system uh, that they've been testing since January which allows basically plane to be closer to each other. Do you, do you want to explain how it works or should I? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I read this article and one of my good friends, as you all know, is an air traffic controller. And I still found myself saying, so, so wait, what? <laughs> but they have so basically to, go ahead yeah, yeah so be, yeah so be, so basically you know there's uh, uh heavy aircrafts must be separ must be separated by four nautical miles i mean there's a uh, many reasons for that there's wind shear etc so they have to have this kind of a regulatory separation when they land one after each other you've seen that in all airports around the world ethro being ethro being basically completely uh at capacity at 98 99 capacity uh, they are trying to find ways to actually how can we play with that number. So when when there's no wind, uh, that's the article saying. So this uh, maybe we should have an expert telling us uh, back this up. Well, there's no wind. It's that 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 plays out. Forty planes can land every hour. Where there's some winds, though, you still have to maintain security. And sometimes it means that instead of doing ninety seconds to that's, and I live under one of the pathway of ether. Actually, planes are flying over my head now. <laughs> There's a plane every 90 seconds. But whether winds to still maintain that, that same safe distance, 
that can translate to instead of 90 seconds, according to your article, 107 seconds, which means obviously less planes land every hour, which means there are more delays, et cetera, et cetera. And apparently, the Ethereum has worked with a system that is made, I don't remember the name of the company, was Honeywell, Lockheed Martin, that allows to, in real time, analyze the winds and wind shear, not only at Ethereum Airport, but all throughout the descent of the plane. So they can actually manage this the space between planes to maintain as close to each plane as possible while maintaining safety regulation, which apparently translates to being closer to these 40 planes per, per hour instead of having to play with uh, safety and uh, putting planes a bit further from each other. I find it interesting. I find it interesting that they're going through some length. Obviously, Ethereum, as I just said, has a capacity issues, so they had to maybe be creative to find ways to land, you know, uh, More, aircrafts yeah. on time. But I think maybe one day we should have someone to talk to talk about this. So maybe we could even reach out to that. I think Andy Chan is the general uh, manager for customer affairs for these air, UK airspace. I could even reach out to him and ask him it how would, it works. It would be, be really good because there's also the additional microwave approach that I think BA uses almost exclusively at Heathrow, which allows for m more precision approaches and slightly different um, spacing. So it would be it would be really good to, to kind of unbox this a little bit more because it's a fascinating subject. Yes, it is. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever circled around Heathrow or any other airport on a circling pa pattern because you were waiting for uh, Heathrow a is spot. so bad. Heathrow is one of the first worst, thing yeah. in the morning. <laughs> but it happens a lot. And so maybe I don't know how you entertain yourself in planes, but just a small piece of news here. I don't know if you know Angry Birds. I'm sure you know it. Yeah. So Angry Birds is just Rovio, the company who was behind Angry Birds, uh, just uh, made a deal, a licensing deal with one of the major players in IFE Entertainment, uh, Global Eagle Entertainment, and you'll have Angry Birds on your IFE. That's quite cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool. Because usually, I mean, like honestly, a lot of the games are, are are sort of copies of of popular games, and, and it's sort of and very know, bad, really bad. But uh, this will this will be quite this will this will make a lot of people very happy. Yeah, I'm sure. Exactly. I'm. I'm really. I'm, I. I don't know how we will play out, but I mean, it's. It was a fun piece of news. Let's be honest, though. Angry Birds. After having this, they say Rovio said it has been the most ever downloaded game in history. They say they have. They have had 2.8 billion downloads across all the different games of Angry Birds, which Amazing. is pretty, pretty impressive. But they've been hitting some rocks uh, in the past six months. I mean, they had to lay off some people because I think they were overextending the franchise. At some point, you could find, you know. Angry Birds, uh, teddy bears, and Angry Birds, everything basically. They even thought about doing a Hollywood movie, or so maybe they overextended a bit. But so it's good news for for them. This uh, Finnish company, which is pretty cool. I met the the, the founder; is really really cool guy. Um, from birds to pets, uh, we had mentioned the guy from Alaska, <laughs> stuck in Alaska, yeah. <laughs> Alaska Airline. Uh, you remember you had said, I think you you had found a piece of news a few episodes ago. I think it was 005 when you said that this Delta had lost some show dogs. That's right. Yeah, uh, there was uh, even despite having an app that uh, well, they discovered via the app that the planes that the dogs were not on the same plane as the owners. So now, so you already had some kind of of of, of uh, possibility to track your at uh, your pets if you have any pets in the hold. There was not a, a full tracking. It was basically the airline giving you uh, 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 updates. Yes. But now Delta is stepping up its game, maybe because they've been accused of having uh, too many injuries. I had, I had said that uh, Delta were 
the the worst for death and injuries to pets in 24, uh, 20, 10 to 2013. United was last year. Uh, so they, they stepped up their game, and now they're offering you, if you pay 50 bucks, uh, you'll have your pet tracked and that's by on top, GPS. That's on top, that's on top of top. the already substantial fee it costs to transport a, a pet on an airline. So 50 bucks, and maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know, It's uh, you'll have uh, more peace of mind, but 50 bucks. But the, you know what? There's there's obviously a catch here, is that this use cellular service, and obviously when you are in the sky, you don't have cellular service. I don't know how yeah. that would work. But. So I guess really all it's doing is giving you the peace of mind that the, that the animal is on the same plane as you and has been you know treated appropriately from the moment they get onto the plane, and then not you get nothing, so... You don't get any peace of mind while you're flying. And then once they get off, you'll know you'll be able to track their progress through the airport until they're or finally the facilities. Yeah. 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 Until they're finally reunited. Apparently, the, the, the same service that 50 bucks will also give you. Uh, you'll have the air temperature surrounding the cage, the angle of the cage, uh, the location, obviously. So stuff that, you know, kind of peace of mind. And if if any if the sensor detects on the cage itself, the sensor goes uh, in a in a warning uh, situation. Uh, you'll have the Delta personal apparently will be warned and something like um, that. I don't know. But I mean, this is how good. they sell it. Um, that's good. Uh, obviously, just after we recorded last week our episode about uh, uh, Amsterdam Airport, honestly, the day after or maybe even hours after we had finished the recording and we put it live, GLM announced that they were doing a partnership with Amsterdam Airport and they're offering now wayfinding. So basically on your app, you'll be able to. And I just wanted to mention it because obviously it happened where we talked for 10 minutes about KLM and about Amsterdam Airport, and we mentioned it. So basically now you, the app is going to be like in Frankfurt Airport. Uh, you'll have a way to know your way around the airport, apparently. I'll, I'll try to test that out. I should be in Amsterdam Airport in two months. I will try to download Yeah, you have to report back and see how it works. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool thing. They, I always love how you know these uh, airlines, I mean, every it's not only airlines. Everyone says we're the... First in the industry. So first of all, yeah, we know that Frankfurt Airport has does that. We know that also <laughs> even Miami Airport has IB cons, you know. So they always tell that they were the first to do that. Anyway, uh, it's interesting that they do it. Uh, what else to be? Yes, uh, I don't know if you've seen the. Yeah, uh, you've you've never been to Narita Airport. Right? I have not. Yeah, so we'll talk about it. We'll do an episode about it, but. Uh, You've been telling me, Paul, let's do narrator. And I said, you know what? I want to take my time because this is such a fascinating history behind the airport. I don't want to, I want to take my time searching for it. But in narrator, a new terminal just opened, it's D3. It's a low cost terminal. It's pretty big. A friend of mine just been there yesterday and told me that it's, it's pretty, it's very big uh, terminal for that will just cater to low cost. So that include that includes all these low cost Asian airlines that travel, you know, to Thailand and, and, and so on. But the fun thing is, because maybe you know that Tokyo will host the Olympics in 2020, they've come for a very imaginative solution to signage. So usually signage costs a lot to install and also it's sometimes not very easy to understand. Well, you know, usually the, you know, the toilets are easy to understand made <laughs> of or, and landing. And so they installed basically a running track in the entire airport. That's a really <laughs> good see- idea. I love stuff like that. Because these are airports that have quite a lot of transit passengers. And if you've got four or five hours and you've come on a trans-Pacific flight and you do like running, I love running, to be able to throw on your gym shorts and sneakers while you wait for your flight is, gosh, what a, what a wonderful thing. And at the same time, 
So the entire track is color coded. So it leads you somewhere. So it leads you throughout the entire airport. So if you want to go, I think it's uh, red uh, is uh, arrivals and blue is departures. So you can actually even find your way around just by following those lanes. I think it's a pretty fun way. You know, it plays into you know, sports, plays yeah. into Olympics, plays into, you know, having something a bit different. So I loved it. I'll put the link. You guys should check the, the picture. I, I don't think since I don't, since we do not live in, in Asia, uh, chances that we will go to this uh, terminal are very low. But it's, uh, if you guys do have a chance, if anyone listening does have a chance, just send us a picture from there or something because it must be really cool. Actually. And if anyone from Narita Airport is listening and wants to fly us out there to test in person, <laughs> I'm sure that we could find a, a block in our schedule to accommodate that <laughs> oh sure of course <laughs> so the app of the week app of the week uh since we started uh talking about aircrafts and seats we decided again to go for one that we've mentioned several times before seat guru do you use seat guru i do and i i i almost religiously use it before every flight um i feel like i know um the the seat configurations on the airlines I frequent, but I actually got caught out by this recently. I might have mentioned this on a previous call, but um, I I always sit at the window if I can if I can. I just love to look out the window, see the world go by. I know a lot of people think I'm crazy because you're furthest away from the aisle, but to me it's worth it. The views are totally worth it. I booked a flight recently on Ryanair, and they were fine. Um, we won't get into that. But I, I, I paid extra to pick my seat. I picked the window seat and I sat down and thought, great, uh, here's my window seat, which I love. And there was no window. There was just <laughs> a wall because it's an anomaly in this particular type of aircraft, which is a 737-800 in the way that they have the seats lined up. I just had a wall instead of a window. So I was furious. Now, SeatGuru.com and their app would have told me that, Alex, this particular seat does not have a window. But... I didn't. I neglected to check it, and I shan't be doing that again. But what SeatGuru is is a, is a wonderful website that has the seat maps for every type of configuration for most airlines and their airplanes, and and kind of rates each seat positively or negatively based on what features it has. Like you know, is there a personal screen? Is there a, um, a USB port or a, or a plug or anything like that? It's proximity to the galley or to the toilets or anything else. Other little things that you perhaps might not have considered. You could you could book a and probably pay extra for an emergency exit row. But in many airplanes, especially in older 747 400s, when you're by the emergency exit, where the door is, there's a substantial protrusion into where your leg space would be if you're in the window seat. And that's where the emergency slide is kept. So you actually don't get much more legroom at all on some of those seats. And again, Seat Guru would tell you about this. It's a great service. Yeah, it's. I mean, I do that also religiously before almost any flight, and a few times I haven't done so. Whereas I had stories like you. It's. Uh, you can also check. So if you're not sure, because sometimes you're not sure about the type of aircraft you're going to have, but they're pretty good at actually. You just put the, the the date and the flight number you'll have, and it'll tell you. Okay, this is the the. Uh, the, the aircraft you'll have pretty amazing it, yes it is it works honestly it works 90 percent of the time i had a few occasions but usually it's not because of seat guru it's because you know the airline just decides to change switch the, the aircraft, aircraft last minute yeah yeah so it's not but it obviously it's great uh, it's color coded so you'll see some seats are red means you know they can you know there are a lot of downsides some are yellow which has some downsides some green or great great seats yeah for all, obviously all three classes 
you have sometimes pictures of the seats as well uh, you can print pretty much any airline i mean all the major airlines plus a whole lot of all of others not every single airline i have in few occasions emerging countries couldn't find it come on yeah i mean it's uh, it's something that you guys should do i mean we're telling you a secret because now we've got to fight for our seats yeah right <laughs> hey i will i will give you guys a very specific seating tip right now if you're flying a virgin atlantic in economy on a 747 400 which is becoming less and less possible these days but I'm sure many of you will book and Virgin Atlantic have the upper deck split into half, half economy, half upper. If you can snag a seat on the upper deck for two reasons. One, you have a dedicated flight attendant just for that small black block of economy passengers. So three, it's actually three reasons. Two, the upper deck is quiet. It's dark on overnight flights. There's very little noise. And third, when you come down those stairs, you're dumped out way ahead of the premium economy and economy passengers. So you are among the first people to get off the airplane when you land. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's a good thing. The only thing I will say, and there's, there's, there is an emergency exit row on the upper deck. Avoid it because the seats are super, super narrow and you can't raise the, the armrests. Now, if anyone from Virgin is listening and you've changed that, tell me. But I actually avoid them. I get the seat up against the, the rear of the upper deck. So pro tip. Uh Actually, actually uh, I, I, I told you in several episodes that I've never flown Virgin Atlantic, and it might just happen next month. Nice, because I'm flying to the I'm flying to New York, and I'm flying out with Delta. And since Delta and Virgin now have of code sharing, I think my flight back is a Virgin. So I'll actually I will ask you about that seating arrangement when I have the, my final call that plane because I really want to choose a nice seat. Nice, and I hope a seven four seven. I know. It's an old plane, but we both love 747. So now that you've basically given me a great uh, follow-up for the for the next part, the topic of the week, uh, we're going to talk about seats. Uh, this week is the Aircraft Interiors Expo uh, in Hamburg. It's uh, basically a trade show where they talk about air aircraft seats. And most of the time when we hear about aircraft seats, we hear about, that's what we both said earlier in the episode, about these premium fantastic seats, the residents from Etihad, <laughs> and these, you know, you have... TV screens are larger than a movie theater, and et cetera, et cetera. And well, that's nice, but it that's maybe what? 5% of the population that can access, I mean, of the traveling, flying population that gets into these seats in yes. terms of even. So uh, we want to talk a little bit about what happens in the back, which is where most people, including us, most of the time travel, right? It's not, we would wish to be in first class all the time. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, and... Um, so you had started by by telling that uh, Emirates was introducing that new uh, uh, route to Copenhagen. Uh, so that shows that there's an interest in having a lot of economy seats. But to be a bit fair, the the when you talk about that, this is where we start bashing airlines. Because when we talk about that, it's true that the experience economy is really, really good. I don't know. Do you, do, do, you, do you think, the question is pretty simple. Do you think that overall the experience in economy has worsened since you started flying? Yes. Absolutely. And I think you can look at it from the back of from when commercial flying really became available to the, the masses. It's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse as airlines try and optimize cost versus revenue. I think there have been incremental improvements in, in cabin technology, in personal and in, 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 in flight entertainment, which have removed the sting a little bit. But overall, I think in terms of physical comfort, 
you know, take away the, the food and all of that stuff. I think it's gotten worse and worse and worse. Actually, why we we also mentioned the, the, the customer satisfaction in the U.S. I mean, these kind of uh, of surveys exist all around the world. In the U.S., one of the major complaints, obviously, flight problems, and flight problems usually means that you know we're very unhappy about our experience, seating experience. And it's true that if you look at what most people look at is the pitch, so how much legroom you'll have in your seat for compared to the seat in front of yeah. you. And it's true that this has been going in the wrong direction. I mean, I'm tall, I'm, 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 I'm 6'4", 195 centimeters. Uh, it's true that now you have airlines like Spirit Airlines in the US have 28 inches. Uh, United has 30 is a bit better, uh, but it's it's really getting tiny. And I will I will quote you something because the, the, uh, the DOT and the FAA are currently doing, uh, uh, basically they are working with customers to actually understand this market and if they have to step in into it and make some regulation. And there's the consumer voice for, for in that panel, because right now there's just discussion, has said this, in a world where animals have more rights to space and food than humans, it is time that the DOT and FAA take a stand for human treatment of passengers. Wow. And I mean that's that's pretty hyperbolic, but yeah, of course. In a uh, in a way, they they have a point, and I wonder if we're going to get to a point quite quite soon where there is a minimum legal amount of seat pitch that you cannot uh, offer less of, you know. Actually, it's interesting because in that same article, uh, there was, and I didn't know that, maybe you knew, that the FAA uh, regulates that uh, the entire aircraft must be able to evacuate in less than 90 seconds yes. in case of an incident. But they do this with seats that are with a 30-inch uh, pitch. So if you're going lower than that, the FAA has never actually done tests. And of course, you know, the tests are like, you know, we put like a 200 people on the plane, but they know it's for a test. They know it's going to happen. They yeah. know, you know, like there's a lot of, of course, but that's, you know, that's pretty normal. But it, it even the FAA itself is not testing for, for legroom that is less than 30. So uh, this is why maybe you're right. At some point, there might be a regulation in place that says, yeah. hey, guys, you know, you it, have to have, I don't know. What, go ahead. No, you're right. And I think, to you know, further to your point, a lot of these regulations are built on, Number of passengers per door and uh, number of passengers uh, per flight attendant. There are minimums for those. But you're right. If you keep compressing the distance between seats, eventually you're going to, cr to create a bottleneck, a tripping hazard, a density issue where there's going to be a tragedy because people cannot get off the plane in time, especially if there's, if there's fire or smoke or anything like that. So I would be surprise and it's i don't it's i'm i'm oversimplifying this by saying they'll say 30 inches is the minimum it doesn't it can't work like that because planes are different like i said number of doors and, and flight attendants is different so but i would not be surprised if they come up with something that says and not from a comfort perspective or a human right perspective or whatever they said but purely from a safety and evacuation perspective yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, actually, there a lot of people say that oh, you know, there's you could have thrombosis or a blood clot uh, if you are in your. But let's be honest here. It's yeah, it happens, but it's extremely, extremely, extremely rare. Although we've never known. Of course, of course, if two more local flights start offering like 27 inch 
uh, legroom, uh, what's going to happen, I'm not sure. But it's still limited. I would say for me, the most problematic part of this, be, be, besides comfort, is that it creates anger in within. I mean, there's always like a lot of anger about, you know, the overhead bins are completely full. Maybe, you know, by the, the, the boarding experience is not well done. And it's maybe not a fault of the airlines, fault of people wanting to go as fast as they can in the flight because they want to actually put stuff in the overhead bin. Yeah. But then happens that all this, and remember, we had a many, many stories last year we both covered on layovers about the needed defenders. So basically, people starting to have fights in the, in the, in the cabin because the guy or the lady in front of them would recline the seat and they would like start actual flight. There have been three planes diverted in, I think it was less than two weeks. I think it was August and September last year, just because people started fighting. So I think the most problematic here is the anger that it creates. And obviously then the safety, because of course, not only diverting a plane, but the stress level for flight attendants, yeah. the stress level for passengers. I mean, first of all, have you ever seen a, a needy defender? Not in person, no. No. What do you think about it? Uh, it's an abomination. They should be. <laughs> they should be banned. And if you're, I knew that. That's why I asked. You know, if you're if you're sociopathic enough to use one on an airplane, then <laughs> I worry about you. It's such a it's such a heinous product, and it's dangerous as well. I I I think when you're interfering with the mechanics of an airplane, even if it's something as simple as as the seat recline, that's fine. That's just not not cool at all no, it's not okay and yeah. it's, it's funny because you know the re, the, re, the reclining is an issue and airlines have and seat manufacturers have tried a lot of different ways to do it like with easyjet they just don't recline because yeah there's a there's a the re, there's a small recline already built in re, yeah so, it's so they okay claim, which is fine and, and their seats are not uncomfortable and they yes, know that yes, the agreed. longest you're going to be in one you know pending any delays is three to four hours that's the limit of their kind of their radius they have some outlier routes but but the vast majority that's fine and then there was these clamshell seats that were they the the seat back and i'm showing paul on the video but i don't know why but (laughs) for those of you at home (laughs) the um, it's a it's basically the 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 seat internalizes the reclines instead of having the instead of having the back of your seat going uh backwards you have your cushion under you going, going slightly forward. forwards, and that, that creates the angle, but you're not disturbing anyone behind. And obviously, of course, the person in front of you either. That's ANA as uh, ANA, was one Cathay of the first had, to introduce you. Cathay had it for a while, and I, anyone from Cathay or who has been on Cathay recently, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they abandoned it. Because if you're sitting down right now listening to this, do something. Scoot your butt forward in your seat, but don't move your back. And tell me how comfortable that is. Not very, right? So in theory, you're like, oh, wow, it just extends the, you know, you kind of are cradled a little bit. But in practice, I think it doesn't work very well from what I understand. That mechanism of the seat going back and forward broke quite often because they were, okay, you yeah. know, if you think about the amount of times per day that that was done. So we're, we're still a long way away from solving this problem unless we just say there is a minimum set of comfort requirements that we're all going to adhere to. And that's just never going to happen. Yeah, uh, we're gonna go before I go through uh, examples of airlines. Because of that expo, there've been some seats that have been revealed. And again, we're not gonna talk about the premium seats because that's almost too easy. You know, it's a uh, we're gonna we'll have one day a segment about talking about these premium seats because it's always fancy to look them look at them and think, oh, a dream. Even been flying with them all the time. But let's look at the hard times of the economy here. There was another article that I wrote that I read, sorry, in the New York Times. Oh, it was pretty scathing because it was a new trend. I've, I've never yet seen that. 
where people that was probably in the US, obviously people were saying that since they were so angry about the old experience, they started just grabbing whichever seat you know, in a plane. So even if you were assigned, I don't know, a 17D or something, you thought, oh, I want that seat. And we just start sitting there. And then, of course, then the flight attendants become sort of negotiating with you that, hey, you know, it's not your Jeez. seat. And people, I mean, this isn't, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever seen that in a flight yourself? I, have, I, I haven't free- seen it in the U.S. I've seen it in other parts of the world. Yeah. And that's just, you're just a jerk if you do that. You know, but that creates more like, you know, anger and anxiety for both for flight attendants for all the passengers yeah. this, because i mean like you said we just you said we just said we both use seat guru uh and i'm always v- very early to choose my seat either i can do that when i'm booked and some airlines tell you that you can only do that 24 hours 23 depending on the airline before booking I actually put a, a set an alarm and actually exactly 24 hours i go on the website and i choose my seat which have a previously chosen on, on Seat Guru because I'm very, again, maybe I'm tall, so I want to have something that have some leg room or some type of, of comfort. But if, you know, if I can imagine myself, if I would enter the plane and some other person would be Same. sitting on my seat and just refusing to, to, to let go, I mean, that creates, you know, anxiety. So I'm a polite person, so I'm not going to start a fight, but I mean, it creates a whole like, and then of course you put your anger not only in the person, but the airline itself. You say, oh, yeah. this airline sucks because, you know. Oh, anyway, going to a uh, little bit about the... Um, configuration because the other part of the seat yeah you have the seat you have the width so how much um sorry the, the pitch and now you have the width how much room do you have you just mentioned that in the uh was it the upper deck of virgin uh atlantic and many other seven yeah yeah yes so i'm going to go through a few airline a few aircrafts because they've all made plans because aircraft are just falling the markets and our airlines are asking to cram more seats in planes so the the 747 uh is actually going for nine abreast. Uh, so only ANA and JAL have eight abreast. Uh, the 787 and other airlines now is nine abreast. There are rumors that they won't even go to 10. I don't know how they're going to do that. But would that mean that with nine abreast, so nine seats, uh, nine abreast for those who don't know, it means that nine seats in a single row. With nine seats in a single row, you have less room on a 787 than 10 seats on a 777. So this is not really, <laughs> really nice. Even like, even even less room than on a 737, but of course, because the design of the plane is much older. On the 737 MAX, so that's new version of the 737 that will enter into service, uh, you'll have uh, Ryanair is, is said to will, that will include 200 seats uh, compared to, act to current, the, the current version of the 737, only 160 seats. So also the cramming more and more and more seats in a single plane. And to react to that, uh, Airbus is releasing, uh, you know, they're releasing the A320neo, so the A320 with new engines. Uh, it was originally intended to have 180 seats, but they want to increase that to 195. It wasn't, they were not authorized yet by the uh, European Aviation Safety, uh, Aviation Safety Agency, but they want to go to 190, 195, which means that the in these situations, you'll have a, a seat that will be so narrowed, I'm not even sure it can actually fit in. Yikes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not really, uh, it's not, I'm not looking forward to that. Another way to cram seats is the A380, so Airbus has released a new uh, design on how to design the toilets and the galley at the back of an aircraft. So you can have smaller toilets. Also, one is angled differently. Uh, the galley is much smaller and thus you gain rows of seats, and then they will uh, they want to uh, to put that in the A320neo we just mentioned, but also 
uh, it, it doesn't have a name. They, currently, we, I'll call it A320-195 because it doesn't have a name, this uh, new configuration. Uh, so they, they also think it's not about only about the seats. It's thinking about how we can remove space of everything else. So the galleys, the toilets. Uh, remember that at some point, Ryanair CEO said, oh, people would have to pay for the toilets. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, go ahead. It's like a, da- you know, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where it's purely about economics and not about passenger yeah. comfort. The passenger comfort yeah, because, is not yeah, factored into that at all. And it's, it's, it's getting ridiculous. I think I'm hoping that there is an opportunity for airlines to use this to differentiate themselves and saying, we're not going to do this. We're going to use seat pitch as an, as an advantage. But the, what we now accept as the base standard seat pitch, I, I wonder... I fear in five years will be premium, you know, seating. Guess what? We have twenty-seven inches of seat pits. Woohoo! But you have to pay well, that, fifty bucks for it. That 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 uh, the the one hundred ninety-five uh, passenger version of the A three twenty Neo is exactly as twenty-seven. It's even it's twenty-seven legroom. That's nothing. That's, I mean, I'm just I can't even imagine what it. I would not fit in that. And I don't, you know. That. The vast majority of the flying public are not going to be, they're not going to know know to look up the fact that there's only 27 inches of seat pitch before they fly and make their airline choice based on that piece of information. They're going to get on the airplane and think, okay, I've got a great deal. Sit down and go, what the hell is this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Actually, the A350 will also come with a similar version. They will put that abreast. But maybe let's go to details because for some people, even the names of the plane do not mean anything. The, the prime example is the A380. So you mentioned the A380 that Emirates was going into a two-class version of the A380. Interesting enough, back in the day, uh, Emirates had asked Airbus to look at a version. So currently the, in, in economy, you have 10 abreast, so 10 seats in a single row. Emirates itself had asked in the past Airbus to look at a version which potentially would have 11 seats abreast. They abandoned the ID, but not Airbus. And Airbus is actually going to release a version of the A3 ID with 11 seats abreast. And that exactly, there are pictures online, and it comes exactly to the point you were saying uh, about the 747 uh, emergency exit door in, in a Virgin Atlantic, is right. that if you are at the window, you basically almost cannot put even your feet on the ground because you are, you know, you're you are the curve of the plane. That's it. that's insane. Wow. So would it be three five three? Yeah, apparently that's uh, that's what they will do. Three five three. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's always. I mean, I don't know. I, I, we'll see. I mean, I've, I've flown in A380 once, uh, twice in economy. It was a 10 abreast on, a, uh, on Emirates. It was okay, I guess. I mean, I, you know, I never liked the the five seats version because of course if you're in the middle of the five on the middle row that's the worst scenario possible for a middle seat right yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah. but you remember maybe were you a kid i don't know if you remember that because i do uh there were some md11 uh, and also the douglas the dc10 they they had 252 yeah. It was not like we went to uh, later on. We had the three 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 that became the one you see yeah, everywhere. But yeah. the two five two was, as a kid, I remember in the U.S. when I was visiting uh, with with my parents. I remember these two five two that was kind of a very admitted possibility. So now, well, anyway, it's an interesting factor. Uh, I also had written. I remember if you remember that the uh, uh, Cebu Pacific. I think I already mentioned. Oh it. yeah, as introduced it a three thirty. With uh, 436 passengers, which 
co compare with uh, Emirates as 267, Singapore is 255 in the same aircraft. That's, wow, they are pushing impressive. the envelope there. Yeah, it's really, uh, really, uh, really insane. Anyway, uh, so I don't think when you look at the design seats, and this is not why we're not talking about design itself, because design is very hard to explain in a podcast. There are some interesting designs that are coming up for economy seats. You mentioned one uh, stuff similar that EasyJet is doing. So very, very thin seats with uh, with new type of foam that doesn't take a lot of room, but it's still comfortable. Yeah. Uh, I guess for low-cost airlines that do sh um, short to medium haul, that will be something we'll see more and more. Uh, but in long haul, I don't see uh, you know discomfort going good in any time no. soon. And again, there's like this tolerance point where you're like you get on a plane knowing your flight's going to be two and a half hours you'll endure it but for 12 hours there's health issues there are legitimate health issues and comfort issues that have got to be taken into consideration but people will always i think they'll endure a certain amount of discomfort and pain for the money yeah, because exactly. it's paying yeah you remember we said that delta has introduced five classes now so it's kind of an economy yeah. minus it's ridiculous. i mean this is exactly what happens and it's I, we're not i'm not and we are i'm sure it's the same we're not criticizing people for going for the lowest fare no it's not at the all way it is but that's why airlines are, play, are, are probably playing it's maybe a harsh word but playing with with that reality um the only I would say that there are a few seats that are nice. I'll put some links on the on the show notes that modern seats that are seem to be more ergonomic, even though there's no recline, even though they're very narrow, they seem more ergonomic than others. I'm sure we're gonna go into that direction. There they are. So there there is my point is there is some innovation for economy seats as well. Uh there was as well, I don't remember if you remember Air, Air New Zealand had introduced uh the sky couch. So basically you would have three uh in a row of three economy seats if you have the three you can transform that into a bed yeah i don't know how that works because... there's like an extension that that comes up and i i looked at the pricing for that and it you know for for maybe 20 percent more you get a business class seat it yeah, seems well. a little now if you're if you're on one of those seats and uh, you haven't paid it. You just paid for a single economy seat and that happens to be an empty flight and you do get it then jackpot but it doesn't i don't I'd love to talk to no, somebody who's flown sure. on it. One, one, one interesting innovation uh, is one uh, seat maker, I don't remember the name, uh, is coming up with a seat that is like what you see in theaters, movie theaters, where the, actually the cushion is actually raising when you're not seated. Huh. So that would, yeah, because that would solve the, oh, we have to escape the plane very quickly. Ah, because I if see. I soon, I see. So Clever. maybe... Yeah, it's clever. I don't know if it's gonna never it was gonna ever happen in the flight, but that's a clever design. Uh, we'll see if it ever happens. And uh, there are, there are many patents we see all you know, and people love to talk about patents, but you never know where they're going they actually uh, with that. Thing, yeah. But there was one that was really fun. That was boring. That you actually I don't know if you've seen it where you could actually have some kind of I don't know strap on that would let you sleep. So you'd be if you if you you put there's a basically i don't know how you call that something that that grabs you to your seat and if you fall asleep falling front in in front it will actually grab you so you can sleep like <laughs> I don't it's like being in a baby carrier <laughs> exactly 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 anyway guys check seat guru all the time uh there are also um articles on skiff that will put that they, they tell you which are the best economy seats according to them so if you have to make a choice you can have uh, you can make a choice there. Obviously, the best are Etihad and Qatar, according to Skift. But there are others um, that uh, American Airlines apparently is pretty pretty good, according to their co 
through their uh, calculations into the competition. So there are there are many things you can do. We'll put a lot of links for you to understand. And now moving on to uh, the question of the week, something that really uh, I'm expecting. I want Alex to tell me which are the craziest runways in the world. So yeah, this this actually came from a post uh, on the layovers Facebook page, and uh, which kind of it was slightly off topic, but inspired me to to explore this because I think there's so many great videos on YouTube of these crazy landings, but no one is a hundred percent sure where they actually are. So I wanted to go through and find a few of the, the craziest, scariest, most kind of extraordinary runways in the world that commercial airliners fly into. There's some amazing desert outcrops that only, uh, you know, a reinforced Cessna caravan can land up, but these are all airports <laughs> that regularly scheduled airlines go into. And the first one I wanted to talk about is in Nepal, and it's it's Lukla Airport, which is based on basically the side of a mountain. And there are, we'll post links to videos of all of these airports. <laughs> so the way you take off at this airport, uh, way up in the Himalayas, is you taxi to the end of the runway, and the the pilots will put on the brakes as hard as they can, throttle up as to full takeoff power, release the brakes, you go downhill, and then the runway ends, and there's nothing. There is a cliff, a drop-off. <laughs> so wow. if, you ha- if you have an aborted takeoff, that's it, you're done. That's the end of the world. So they just hammer it and... You know, you you actually drop off at the end of it a little bit, and then you you know whatever speed you need to make up, you make up falling to earth. Uh, I think I think I think uh, Courchevel in the, near Mont Blanc is built very a bit similar. The same. You also very have similar, like yeah, yeah. and, yeah, and it, like, just the same. Courchevel goes down a hill, and then you go off the end, and whatever lift you don't have from your takeoff run, you get from dropping the drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You take flight during the drop. This is insane. And there's a wonderful bar. Or coffee shop that overlooks the the runway in 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 Nepal that uh, I've never oh, been to, wow. but uh, it's on my either. bucket list of, to just sit there and watch these crazy guys jump off the edge of a cliff. So that is wow. staggering. And if you if you have a problem at the other end of this ravine is just mountains. So <laughs> so it is a very dangerous airport. There have been some accidents going into it. Um, then, there's a before before you move on. There's an uh, it's not a commercial one, but I'll put a link as well. There's one in uh, uh, in uh, Lesotho, which is in Africa, which is exactly similar. So you have uh, you have a small like airfield, and then it's only used for um, emergency for doctors to come into villages and stuff. But you have the same kind of feeling where there's a, an airfield and then nothing, and you have to drop, and then you you know if you haven't there's no like return point that right off it's anyway go on terrifying. <laughs> So the next one is 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 less dangerous in terms of piloting, but for pedestrians and cars, it can be very dangerous. This is Gibraltar, which is on the Iberian Peninsula. It's actually a British overseas territory, disputed as most British overseas territories are. Yes. <laughs> yes. The crazy thing about this is, it's, it's quite small geographic footprint, and it's a it's a modern former RAF base that's been that's uh, now an airport. The runway goes across the only road that connects Gibraltar with with Spain. So you're driving along the <laughs> runway, which is cool in of itself. But when a plane needs to land, a, a railway crossing-like thing comes down, 
and the plane <laughs> lands on right in front of you, you know, instead of a train and it, you know, it taxis off and then they check to make sure that there's no one else coming. The barrier goes up and you drive across the runway into, into Gibraltar. I've been it. I've been there. You can walk across the runway. It's the only way to get to, from Spain into Gibraltar. Wow. It is it is really neat to do. It's so cool. Wow. It's it's in terms of uniqueness, I don't think there are many airports quite like it. So that's a that's another one of my favorites. So Paro in which is in Bhutan, uh, which is a very again in the Himalayas, again, yeah, the Himalayas, again, Himalayas, yeah, is a is a small uh, it's a small country. Apparently, the happiest country on on Earth. They have a happiness yes, index in their yes, economy. Yes, it's true. Uh, their airport is like. For those of you that are Star Wars fans, and I think pretty much everybody is, at the end of Episode Four, A New Hope, when Luke Skywalker is flying through uh, the the canyon on the Death Star to drop the 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 killer blow, it's basically that they have to weave through mountain valleys, fly directly at hillsides before doing a really tight final turn to land on a very very short runway. There is a spectacular video on YouTube taken from the flight deck of one of these of the the local uh, Bhutanese airline, and you're like, "This is this has got to be an air show approach or something." There's no way. This is the the published approach into this airport, and it is it's exhausting to watch on YouTube. I can't even imagine being a passenger at night in bad weather doing this. Or, a, or even a pilot. Or even a pilot. And apparently you have to go through a, a special certification process just to land at this airport, just like London City. Oh, amazing. I wow. don't know if wow. I could uh, do it myself, but uh, pretty pretty crazy. Uh, the next one is, uh, and we, Paul and I, were right before we came on here, we were talking about how we actually pronounce this. Is I'll say St. Bart's. Uh, no, but that's correct. It's just that the original name is Saint-Barthélemy, which is French. Much but nicer. Saint Much nicer. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, another small Caribbean island where real estate is at a premium. And the airport, uh, the runway is, is a very, very short. It's only 2,100 feet. And at one end is the water and the other end is a hill. And <laughs> the way that these pilots, and it's, it's exclusively prop planes are very, 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 very small jets. But the only things that I've seen landing there are, are prop planes. And they basically hug the hillside on their, their glide slope as they come down and hopefully stop in time. Because if they don't stop in time, everybody on the plane is going to get very, very wet. And it's, <laughs> again, wonderful videos on YouTube. Because you, there's a road that runs along the top of the hillside. And you can you can park your car and and lie on the hillside and watch these planes kind of give you a haircut with their landing gear, and it's you again. You have to be a very skilled uh, pilot to be able pilot, to shoot yeah. these approaches. And, and sadly, there have been a few accidents. But uh, there is a video of a Piper Aztec running out of runway after cutting down a little bit too short. No injuries, thankfully, but it's, it shows you how how precarious this airline this airport is uh and one more or two more tegucigalpa yeah. in honduras yeah yes this one the videos i love that these are unbelievable videos it's it's a similar setup to saint bart's in that you have uh not a very very long runway it's only six thousand feet and compare that to nearly ten thousand at lax but there are 757, 767, 737 landing on this. And again, it hugs a hill, the, the, the approach hugs a hillside. 
So it doesn't look like the plane is actually going down. It's just following the terrain until you realize it's actually going down a hill. And it looks like they're going to scrape their tails on the ground as they shoot this extraordinary, as as uh, Jalopnik referred to it, a armrest, death-gripping, butt-clenching, nervous approach. <laughs> and again, you can get up and stand on the hill and watch. You're at eye level with passengers who are landing this approach. And as Paul said earlier, there are some amazing videos of of uh, 737s landing halfway down the runway and jamming every inch of their brake pads into the <laughs> into the ground to finally do this and get there safely. Um, yeah, because let's uh, before you move to the, the last one, because the last one uh, is also the name of the show. But uh, there are, unless you have another one, but there are a lot of videos online where you, people say uh, on YouTube, we go crazy uh, takeoffs or crazy landings. And most are not done actually in very dangerous airports. It's just a lot of They're wind. Just bad air- yeah, bad landings. Yeah, yeah. But it's not by itself, by definition, dangerous. You know, when you're in a plane, some planes don't see that. But it's pretty normal the plane is not exactly in line with the, with the runway when it lands. That's okay. Yeah. There are some that are more... more so, but these airports that you mentioned are truly uh, something special. Most of them actually require a special license to just actually uh, shoot the uh, approach. Yeah, them. and there, yeah, one that, that's a very good point. The, but one that, that of course is closed, and it was also the table they show is Hong Kong. Guys, like, yeah, that was also such one a that, great airport. That was also a great airport that that needed also some uh, trainings. I found since then a, a video of a landing of a Swiss Air uh, from the inside that was in the sixties. I'll put that in the links. It was pretty cool to see. Any other airport? The last airport, which is also our airport of the week, is Princess week. Juliana International at, uh, as as we said, as I say, Saint Martin, but is uh, is not uh, apparently the pr- correct pronunciation. No, um, no, that's correct. I don't worry about it. It's, the, the 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 island, the part of that island is Dutch anyway. For those who don't know, it's look at where uh, where the uh, Dominican Republic is, and you just go basically a bit east, and you'll find it. And the, this so, airport is every airplane enthusiast uh, top of their bucket list. Uh, right. Why? I mean, first of all, it's you are it's a holiday destination. Yeah, it's right? beautiful. So it's, par- it's, it's a in, fantastic it's in paradise. Yeah, it's paradise. <laughs> I would love to go, to go there just to be on a resort there, right? right? But the, the the runway is at sea level, almost four meters. Come on, it's at sea level and. It's not very long. It's actually pretty short. You have seven four sevens. You have very big planes. There's not props here. We're no, yeah, big airplanes planes, coming from all over the world. KLM, actually, a lot of KLM, obviously, because it's Dutch. And they have to land. There's a small piece of beach just before the runway, and you can actually spot. You can be just under the plane when it lands. And when I say just under, look at the videos. You're like, basically, it's insane. Yeah. You're, I, I mean. I just for that, I would not even care about the quality of the resort. I just want to stay for a full day on that beach <laughs> and watch plane land and, and take off. Yeah, the, the Maho Beach uh, in St. Martin is there's there's got to be more videos of that beach than any other video, any other beach in the world, because it is spectacular. And these these planes are coming over tens of feet above you yes there's a feet. yeah it's just it's insane you would never be authorized to be in that position as a human being in any other airport in the world <laughs> that's such a great way of putting just, it it's just you see people like being you know you know especially with uh, the turbines of the the engines you see people even like being you know falling because it's it's actually dangerous uh 
I don't know if, if, if you'd call that dangerous. You still have to be cautious. It's just like, oh, I'm just going to take a picture. You're having a 747 laying 10 feet above yeah. you. It's, uh, yeah, it just be attention when it happens. But it's amazing. Actually, it's so crazy that the airport itself, so if you go on their website, uh, SX, sxmairport.com, they actually will show you videos of landings that if chosen, it picked from plane spotters. They're not even them. So they're very well aware that they have this position. Yeah. You can go on their Instagram account or you can go on Facebook and you'll see like crazy landing. And it's, it's, they play with that. Yeah, and as they should because it's such a, a unique airport. I think um, what's interesting about it is when you're flying or landing over water and you have only water in front of you as a as a visual reference, pilots can become a little bit disoriented. So some of them come in a little shallow on the glide slope, but if they're familiar with the approach, they know what to look for and technology has kind of mitigated any issues. But the, while the landings are spectacular, the takeoffs are also spectacular too. And a lot of people that have watched a plane land will then go up to the fence and hold on to it as they yes, get yes, pummeled yes, yes. with jet blast until they realize that it's <laughs> excruciating because they're getting sandblasted at the same time. <laughs> now, as this plane takes off on the same runway in which it lands, uh, there is a huge mountain at the end of the runway. So they have to take off, gear up, and then a hard turn to avoid the mountain. So it's 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 not we shouldn't oversimplify how complicated it is not only to land but to take off at this this very, very unique airport. Uh, I have a, a few just to show you how impressive. I don't think there's a video. The Concorde has actually landed. No way. Santa Marta. Yes. Uh, wow. Even be, apparently before the runway was extended, I was not able to find any videos. Probably nobody, nobody had an iPhone to take a right. video of the plane. The Antonov AN255 also landed there. And I, took I off loved, somehow. And took off somehow, exactly somehow. Uh, the if for those who remember Microsoft Flight Simulator version X, so the tenth version, if you didn't buy, if you just added the the, the free the freeware, so the, the version without having bought the entire uh, game, that was the airport that you could play with. It was I remember it. That was Juliana Airport. You could actually try to way, land on there. Great way to sell there. it too, <laughs> and and incredibly. Even with all these complications, there have been no major incidents at that airport. No, correct. Yes. Unlike some of the others you mentioned before, yeah. uh, absolutely correct. One last number, maybe. Uh, it's an airport that is now there with a new terminal. It's uh, because they've done some expansions. Can hold 2.5 million passengers a year, which obviously compared to the other airports we talked about uh, until now is not a lot. But then I'm going to tell you, on this island, there's only 37,000 people living. Which is ama it's so, amazing. That, the, that, the ratio of the airport compared to the inhabitants is amazing. It it's is. Crazy. It is. And again, a top of all my list to go. And if you've been there, I am very envious of you. But I'd love to hear, we'd love to hear about if you went down to the beach and what it was like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to finish uh, this show, there's actually currently a poll where you can vote. On your favorite approach uh, on privatefly.com. Uh, I'll put the link. Amazing. One of which is obviously Juliana Airport. So, uh, guys, I mean, we don't have any stake at it, but just go and, uh, and vote. On that, Alex, uh, from the sunny skies from once in London and uh, your sunny skies, I hope. Well, actually, in California. From, from my in law's closet, <laughs> yeah, believe exactly. it or not. <laughs> 
uh, this part of the video will this part of the, the podcast will be videoed on YouTube, guys. I'll put the video of Alex with all the clothes behind him. <laughs> so <you can> see. <laughs> uh, Alex, safe travels because you're coming back to London next week. Uh, so we'll have a show where both of us are in the same city. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to that. And on this, thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See you next week. On behalf of Layovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and we are looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.